You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We're going to be talking with Scott McEwen, the author of American Sniper, coming up in this podcast. But gentlemen, good afternoon. Good to see you. Before we get to Scott, we just wrapped up production for today's show for CRTV. Let's give the audience, Todd, a little preview of what's coming up today at CRTV.com. What do you want to point out? Uh, I was reminded that one of the surest signs of progressivism's uh, instability uh, and general level of his madness is its total lack of humor and the ability to nod at something that can draw a genuine laugh. Just humorless, humorless people. Yeah, it's difficult when your worldview is based off of the inherent goodness and perfectibility of yourself. Really, self-deprecation becomes a very difficult concept to grasp when the initial premise of your worldview is Well, you take everything you. personally. I mean, what, yeah. It's, yeah. Really hard to be self-deprecating when, uh, you, you know, when I love me some me is, is my favorite Bible verse. Yes. I mean, that's the premise of, my, right. of my worldview. You know that's what I'm right. saying? Real hard to, take, to, to poke fun at yourself when you take yourself so dang seriously. Aaron, what's what stood out to you about our CRTV show today? Yeah, I think the the theme of today's show is stop owning or stop making your goal to own the libs because eventually they'll do it to themselves. Well, if you want to watch our show today on CRTV, here's how. CRTV.com. Promo code DACE is how you can watch today's show at CRTV if you're not yet a subscriber. And that promo code will get you a huge discount. It'll come up to a quarter a day for an entire year of not just the Steve Day Show at CRTV, but every show at CRTV, including the great one, Mark Levin, Stephen Crowder, Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Every program we produce each and every day at CRTV.com. Just use my name as the promo code DACE and you'll get instant access annually today. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Now, before we get to Scott McEwen the author of American Sniper. Our conversation with Scott today is brought to you by Purple Mattress. How did you sleep last night? Did you spend the night tossing and turning? Well, let me tell you. Uh, I was recently doing a speaking engagement out west, and the first hotel we stayed in had one of those floppy beds. And man, as I get older, my hip flexors like, if you sleep too long in this thing, we're not going to walk tomorrow. <laughs> and so I found myself like every 15, 20 minutes, I, my body clock was literally waking me up to turn over from my side onto my belly, onto my back to avoid that weak floppy bed in this hotel aggravating my hip flexor. And if you know what I'm talking about, if you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a purple mattress. 
The founders of Purple are two brothers who have been developing cushioning technology for 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. And then, just a few years ago, they finally decided to use their patented comfort technology to create Purple, the world's most scientific mattress. The Purple mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's not like the memory foam you're used to. The Purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. So it keeps everything supported while still feeling very comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it helps you to sleep cool. You can try it now. 100 night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund, backed by a 10-year warranty, though, if you decide to stick with it. That's how confident they are in this product. They will back it with a 10-year warranty, free shipping on returns if you want to give it back. You're going to love Purple. And right now, our listeners will get 10% off your entire order in addition to this week's free gift with the purchase of a Purple mattress. Just go to purple.com and use my promo code Steve at checkout. That's purple.com, promo code Steve. The only way to get this 10% off plus your free gift, use my code Steve at the checkout at purple.com, promo code Steve. And we are joined now by the co-author of the New York Times bestseller and the book that inspired one of uh, the hit films of 2015, American Sniper. He's got a new book out targeted at young adults. It's called Camp Valor. And I love this review from the New York Post, which says this pro-America book could buck the left-wing young adult trend. And Scott McEwen is with us here on the Steve Day Show podcast on Westwood One. And Scott, it is an honor to have you with us, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on, Steve. So I wasn't aware there was um, a left wing young adult trend, but I but I, my my son, which would be in a target demo for your books, is a little young. He just turned eleven. My two teenage daughters, I, I am aware of the fact that a paranormal romance tends to be the young adult trend. That's like every book in the young adult section at the local Barnes and Noble. So I'm, I'm eager to see somebody write some good old Americana patriotic storylines. Tell us about Camp Valor, Scott. Uh, Camp Valor is set in a rural America setting in the middle of a lake. I envisioned while writing it, uh, Crater Lake in Oregon, which I think is one of the most beautiful spots on earth, but the island on Crater Lake was kind of my my vision of the world where it was supposed to be set. And essentially it takes young, young youth out of uh, youth authority that have gotten in trouble. Uh, they write a contract with the, uh, the enigmas, if you will, that, 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 that recruit them, that they will do a three-month tour with Camp Valor. And if they complete the tour, and the mission for the uh, United States government in the tour, then they're exonerated and their record is completely clear, uh, assuming that they survive the survive the ordeal. And so it's a rather rigorous, if you will, introduction into the world of of, of espionage, uh, with uh, youth being the heroes and American values being the uh, the overall theme of the uh, of the book. What made you decide to tackle this, or to maybe to evolve, I should say, your your genre to young adults? Why did you decide to go after this market, Scott? You know, I got two sons that are teenagers, not unlike yourself, and I got a daughter who just got out of her teens, and I felt as if there was nothing in that world other than what they get at school, which is almost all here in California where I live, left-wing dogma. Mm -hmm. And so I felt as if a patriotic, fun 
uh, book that they'd want to read, that they'd want to get into and want to get into the world was, you know, a throwback to the days when I was a child, when I used to, or I should say when I was a teenager, when I read, you know, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, like Johnny Quest, mm-hmm. like those type of stories was my, was my, uh, if you will, reading introduction to that, uh, that world. And I really enjoyed it. And there's just nothing out there right now, Steve, that really, uh, that, that really covers that, that genre. And I felt like, you know, for the same reason that American Sniper was popular, that I felt as if there was a audience and a parental audience that wanted their kids to read something fun and also patriotic that has a, that has a has a message to them, and that's really was the genesis of of Camp Valor. And you know, uh, it's been out now for just a little bit over a week, and we rose up to number thirty three out of eight million books on Amazon. Wow. So when I was 11, 12, 13, uh, 14 years old, I've always been a big superhero, sci-fi, you know, I'm a fanboy, you know. So I was one of the rare kids in high school that played sports, but I was a fanboy at the same time. So I had an eclectic mix of friends. And the first comic book I ever subscribed to, I used to use my allowance to subscribe to it, was G.I. Joe. And I used, to, I used to come home from, I mean, it was after school and middle school. It was Thundercats, Voltron, and G.I. Joe was must-see TV every afternoon, right? And I, I'm not mean like the G.I. Joe from the 70s with the big doll. I mean like Snake Eyes and Gung Ho, sure. the codename guys, right? This, sure, this sure. show was overtly patriotic. The, the comic book was overtly pro-American. And it kind of gets mocked today as, as a parody of, of the Reagan era uh, in the Reagan 80s from the cynical said they've tried to resurrect gi joe in several facets in this generation and i'm just wondering is it could could is, is this generation is it just not capable of receiving overtly patriotic material like this or is the success of your book showing hey if you do it well that may not necessarily be the case I think it's the same reason you know i'll answer that with with with, with an example and i think that this generation of children is from a generation of parents that still loves this country. And I think that American Sniper really proved that theory to, to America. And I'll never forget when I was first, when I first uh, went to, to sell that book to, uh, to Warner Brothers. And, you know, Bradley got involved, Bradley Cooper and a few other people. And, and the, the president of Warner Brothers said to me, you know, Scott, you know, we, we expect this 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 movie to do okay you know in the in the box office you know and we expect it to get some nominations for academy awards because it's a brilliant script that jason hall had written but we don't expect this thing to make any money and we'll be honest with you we're just we're kind of doing a flyer here and i looked at him and i said you know what if we do it right and we don't pander to the left we will make money and 600 million dollars later i think i was right and i have the same exact attitude towards camp valor i think if you write good stories about realistic american heroes which although this is a fiction book these are realistic american heroes in today's world and 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 you don't pander to the audience and this is a younger audience but you don't talk down to them and you don't do the pc things that everybody wants you to do i think that they will come and i think that it's already proven it you mentioned the success of american sniper as both the book on the new york times bestseller list but also as a film and you know um we live in des moines 
And so even though this podcast gets distributed by Westwood One over the all over the country, we were one of those markets that didn't receive the movie until early January, right? Because it was a limited release, December, then it went nationwide, sure. I think the first or second week in January. And I remember my wife, uh, who's an Army brat, her dad uh, was over 20 years in the 101st Airborne. And and so we kind of knew this story and 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 knew the, what, it, what it was going to be about. It was right in our wheelhouse. And we're big moviegoers, and it's January, which is usually when, you know, the crap movies get dumped in January, not the movies that make six hundred million dollars. Okay, sure. and so we're like, you know what? It's 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 an ice storm outside. We're going to show up five minutes before the movie starts because the theater's always dead in January, and and you know it'll be a nice, quaint little filmmaking experience. We get to the theater a lot, Scott, and I mean it. There was not a place to park. We get yeah. into the theater. We got we literally got the last two seats in the theater. This was opening weekend on a Saturday afternoon. We had to sit in the very front row. I think I had to see my chiropractor afterwards. And <laughs> I was I I mean this is like this was like the opening of a Star Wars movie, a Harry Potter film. Um uh, to for for a film with this message to to touch the zeitgeist, to capture the imagination of the American people the way that it did. And I'm reminded of a, 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 a I think it was a columnist out there in uh, in California where you are. It might have been an L.A. Times writer who said, you know, after a couple of weeks of the film soaring success, if you are surprised that this movie is successful, it's only because you live between you've never been to any of the states between New York and California. What do you think? What do you, what do you think about that statement? No, I think it's absolutely true. I mean, it's absolutely true that, you know, that that the, the coast, the left coast. And, 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 you know, in the New York beltway, if you will, the Washington think they control the country because of their media influence. But if you write something for the real America, which I consider to be east of the I-5 and west of the 110, you know, the real America that's in the center of this country, the America where I grew up in eastern Oregon, you know, and all the way across the Great Plains, you know, that they will come and they will respect that because they're sick of being talked down to by the two coasts. Was there ever any pressure that you are aware of in the making of the film to water it down, to make it more PC, more palatable? Were you surprised um, that, that Bradley Cooper, because I think, I mean, he's become an A-list star in Hollywood, his willingness to carry the banner for the film and its message was going to probably be vital along those lines, meaning he had to see this as more than just a good role. He had to see this film almost as a cause that he was willing to put his his Hollywood cachet behind, I would imagine, because it was going to be a role that was going to live with him for the rest of his career one way or another. What are your thoughts on those two questions? And he, and he did. There's no doubt about it. Bradley, you know, I on set, you know, I, I, I've, I've told this story a couple of times, but it's so true. You know, he was so much into the character that I would hear him talking behind me because he would use Chris's southern drawl and he wouldn't come out of that character the entire day on set. And I would hear him talking behind me. And I it, it, it was a strange moment because I almost feel like there was a ghost. I mean, because mm. he studied Chris's vo- vocabulary and his and his southern drawl so well that it, it, it became almost identical. And, and I was I was very impressed by his commitment. And, you know, and the other great thing that happened to that movie, and ev- the stars lined up, and it, it was a strange story in and of itself, was when Clint Eastwood decided to direct it, because obviously that is a man that understands not only the genre, but respects this country, respects its warriors. And he was the guy that Chris and I wanted from day one. Uh, when Chris was killed, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg was then 
going to direct or direct the movie and then he dropped it and then i received a phone call shortly thereafter from clint eastwood and that was always chris and i's choice from day one was clint eastwood but our our producer you know andrew lazar who was an honest man in a very dishonest world called los angeles um he uh <laughs> you know he said he said uh, you know look scott i can't guarantee it i did space cowboys with clint you know i will get it in front of him but you know he has it. He has a full. He has a full. You know slate. So and he's eighty-five years old. Yeah, I can't guarantee he'll take the project, mm -hmm. but he did, and he did an amazing job. And you know the rest is history now. But I'll just tell you that everything lined up, and Warner Brothers backed off when Clint Eastwood's involved. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about that is that guy. He doesn't need to pander to anybody. He cuts his own films. He produces his own films, and when they're done, that's his. That's his. His. His work. And that's a good thing about Clint. You know, when the, when the Passion had its amazing success in 04, and no major studio, even though Mel Gibson, this is before he had any issues in his private life, and he was considered one of the biggest stars in the world. Um, right. Not just an A-lister, but an A-lister among A-listers. And when he took that project sure. on, he funded it himself, uh, distributed it through his own uh, company, Icon, Iconic, uh, I think Icon Pictures, because no major studio would do it. And then when he ended up turning one of the largest profits in Hollywood history, when that film became a force of nature globally, me and a lot right. of other people 15 years ago at that time thought, you know, right now in Hollywood, every major studio has a production assistant combing through the Bible, looking for a movie. To in order to reach this audience that Mel Gibson proved was there, and we didn't see it. You know, we we did see attempts to remake the Ten Commandments. Uh, we did see attempts to do Noah's Ark with a virulent atheist and Darren Aronofsky who deconstructed the character. And when they remade yeah. when they remade the Ten Commandments, Moses was a paranoid schizophrenic and God was an eight yeah. year old brat. But I think yeah, we yeah. have seen since American Sniper. I go back to Twelve Strong earlier this year, uh, the movie uh, about what happened at Benghazi. We have seen major studios take the cue from American Sniper the last couple of years and do overtly pro-America uh, patriotic films for major studio release. You guys got to feel some pride in that, Scott. I do. And, you know, and I, and I, you know, and I think that each of those particularly 13 hours and 12 strong did, did well. I mean, they didn't do as well possibly as, you know, on the numbers that American Sniper did, but they did well, and I'm glad to see that. And I was extremely glad to see, you know, the movie 13 Hours do extremely do well because that story still upsets me to this day. But that's another story, anyway. But uh, um, you know, I think that they get it. I think they're beginning to get it that if you let these patriotic movies run on their own and don't try to PC them, mm -hmm. don't try to make them in a mold of Hollywood. Just tell the story. You know, with the flaws of the man, with the flaws of the character, with the flaws of humanity, which is what each of us have. I don't care if you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing the passion. You know, there's flaws in the character, and the character flaws have to be shown within, the, within you know, the reality of what Mel was trying to do, and that's why it was so successful. Your good directors understand that, and they don't let Hollywood ruin things. And I think that, unfortunately, Hollywood likes to get in, way, in the way of themselves. And, you know, and, and the PC is so strong in that town that sometimes the, it can even outweigh the money. Interesting that you said it could outweigh the money, because what I hear you saying is that really, in a business sense, 
The challenge is, you know, my number one role as a broadcaster isn't to be informed, to be entertaining. None of those things are relevant if I if I don't know, if I don't relate to my audience, if I don't know what they're thinking, if I don't know what they're talking about and shouldn't be, what they're not talking about but should be, right? I have to be connected with them in order for whatever I may say that may be informed, witty, et cetera, to connect with them. I got to know my audience. And, and that means I may have a message that I want to communicate. But I have to frame it. That's why it's called broadcasting, right? The first word there is broad. To reach a broad audience, I have to frame it in a way that they might receive it. And what I hear you saying is the struggle there in Hollywood is, do we want to give our customers the message they want? Or do we want to give them the message we want? Do we want, are we, do we want to pretend our customers are who we want them to be? Or are we going to acknowledge who our customers actually are? Do you think that's a fair characterization of the dilemma, Scott? Exactly, man. That's exactly what they go through every time. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that the world of PC too often works out or or overrides that decision. And uh, it's rare that a movie like American Sniper gets made or a Passion of the Christ gets made. Not that I'm putting us in the same realm as that one, because that was an amazing phenomenon. Ours was amazing. but That one was world world changing. You know, and I, I, you know, I think that uh, I think that, you know, if they'll leave these filmmakers alone, like, you know, Clint Eastwood and like, you know, Mel Gibson, they're going to make money every time. And I think that's kind of what Warner Brothers has done with Clint. He's got the same cabana and they give him the budget and say, go run with it. But it's pretty darn rare in that town that you see it. And that's why you see so much crap coming out of there, in my opinion. So what's next for Scott McEwen? Is this going to be Cam Valor, a series that you of books you want to explore? Do you have something else lined up? Uh, give our audience a tease of what's coming up. Yeah, Cam Valor number two is already there. And the I'll just put this this way. Macmillan, which is a pretty large house, was absolutely astonished by how well this, this broke out in the young adult world. Where you're right, eight out of ten titles are either... PC left or, you know, or, or you have heroin figures in front. And so I think that, that, that Camp Valor is, is a breakout success and they've already consider, considering it as st- such. And there's a lot of people in Hollywood interested, but once again, you do that dance for a while and decide who's going to actually make it. And that's a hard dance to do, but, uh, you know, uh, so that's, that's, they're definitely interested, but Camp Valor two will be out next summer. And then I have another book that's coming out in October. That's a, that's a nonfiction that uh, is about a Navy SEAL that quit after two deployments, sniper, not unlike Chris, and joined a group called the Free Burma Rangers, which is a Christian mercenary group that uh, that has been described as doctors without borders with machine guns. <laughs> and they they are all ex, ex-special forces guys to to help civilians in war zones, and they did they they extracted women and children from the Battle of Mosul uh, mm. against ISIS? One of the craziest craziest book, crazier than American Sniper. That's all I can say. Wow. I mean, some of the the battle scenes in this one will absolutely astonish people. You know, the the resort, you know, the the resolve of this group to save people in in just a hellfire hurricane. I mean, that was that Battle of Mosul was probably as bad as anything my dad saw you know, in World War II in Iwo Jima or, you know, the, the Guadalcanal or those islands. Wow. Scott, how can our yeah. audience follow along to wait for these works to come out? How can they follow your work? 
Well, I appreciate that, Steve. ScottMcEwen.com. I'm on I'm on uh, Facebook at uh, author Scott McEwen. You know, so all all the regular all the regular sites out there. I really appreciate you having me on. You know, and I hope Camp Valor really changes the genre the way that we did with American Sniper because our youth matter, and you know we're losing them, and we're losing them too quickly. I think in this country, and I think it's time we tried to bring them back, and it's worth trying. God bless you, man. Appreciate your work. Honor having you on our show here today on Westwood One. Take care, man. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. All right, take care. That's Scott McEwen, New York Times bestselling co-author of American Sniper. He's got another best-selling series. Number one in teen thrillers right now at Amazon.com right now. It's the first in the series, Camp Valor. Some thoughts, uh, gentlemen, on the conversation we just had with Scott McEwen, which touched uh, on a lot of different topics in just 16 minutes. I mean, he, he touched on uh, the state of our youth. He touched on political correctness in Hollywood uh, and uh the story that he teased is coming up in the future. Essentially, a, a group of Christian um, ex-military guys go real-life equalizer to help civilians fight battles they can't fight on their own. That sounds like that would make an incredible mm-hmm. story, except it's not a story. This is for real. So as you were listening to this, Todd, uh, what were some of the thoughts you had? Well, he summed up uh, at the very end what I was thinking the whole time, just about how we're losing our kids and we're losing them too fast. Uh Good storytelling has been the way culture has been passed on forever. Hmm. And when you just keep handing kids uh, thin gruel over and over and over again, how can we expect to sustain uh, a culture? And it's to his credit, uh, ultimately at the end of the day, that's a very, uh, uh, ultimately I think uh, the military ethos is uh, is very much coming through. Listen, you, you, you know, know your role and do it. He, he, he knew what he had an ability to do. He put a book out there. Um, you mentioned Harry Potter, you know, uh, that, that single mom had no idea that Harry Potter was going to be Harry Potter before she wrote it. Um, he wrote Cap Valor. Now it's got a shot at changing hearts and minds. So God bless him for doing what he could do to fight the war in front of him. What'd you think while listening in on that, Aaron? Yeah, towards the beginning of the conversation and um, talking about the people on the East and West Coast and how much success uh his, you know, the, the the film American Sniper had, which is based off the book he wrote, uh, with Middle America, with with the real America, and it is, uh, it is interesting how when a good story is told, but it does not fit the narrative, um, it all be it, it all of a sudden becomes extremely controversial for people uh on the on the on the coasts i think it's i think part of it is just because it it this is probably occam's razor this is the least amount of assumptions uh, but it, it, it it's probably just because they have a gut level reaction to anything that's heroic or masculine i think that's probably the easiest assumption to make but i think the other part of it is that good art will cause the consumer the viewer the reader to think more deeply mm-hmm. than the surface level of whatever they are consuming. I take a look at uh, Catholic churches. I've been in s- several cathedrals and churches and things like that, and I think Todd would, would know this. There is, and, and maybe it's different in, in modern times uh, with Catholic churches, every bit of architecture in a Catholic church 
has some sort of meaning that's rooted in theology. And that's absolutely right. And that is good art because you're looking at something that's already beautiful and you don't know why it's beauty beautiful, but then you realize, oh, there's uh, there's there's 12 pillars here. What could 12 be uh, in reference to? It causes you to think deeper. And when you start thinking deeper about things, you are harder to control and manipulate. And I think that's a deeper level of why people on the le- the elites don't like it when good stories are told, especially if it's about heroism, and especially, really especially, if it's about something that happened with real life. Because we have, we've done this podcast, it seems like every week, Steve, where we'll talk about, oh, thus and such movie is actually really conservative. And I've been really pessimistic about, I mean, it's it's fun to look at the worldview, and it's, I think, a good exercise, but it's like, are people just going there, are they analyzing this stuff on a worldview level, most people? I think the answer to that is probably not. Um... But at the same time, I think when something is rooted in reality, like American Sniper was, and this is a fictional book that we talked about uh, this time around, but it still sounds like a good story. Um, you know, people uh, people gravitate to that, and um, like you were talking about, the elites on the coasts just they can't even. Well, you know, we're creating the image of God, right? And the number one, the number one revealer of God's character is Jesus Christ. One of the most famous methods he had of teaching were called what? Parables. Parables, which is another way of saying what? Stories. Stories. Let me tell you let me tell you a story about a father who had two sons. Yeah. Right? And God in his word, that's that next to Christ, his word would be the next best way to uh, to have the to to know the character of God that the character of God is revealed and look at the diversity of the content we have psalms we have songs poetry we have we have books of law we have books of chrono- of chronologies and and family histories like genesis for example and um we have eyewitness accounts we have intellectual treatises in other words, Paul's letters. When you look at this diversity of content, in many respects, you have God appealing to every vestige of our desire and willingness and easiness to connect to narrative, to story, because of because of the way we are made and constructed. And this conversation we've had it reminds me of two professors in England one a Catholic and one an atheist, who were both teaching philosophy, literature at this esteemed British university. They get together after school over a pint or two and lament. They would debate philosophy and theology with the Catholic trying to change the mind of the atheist on campus. And one of the areas where they instantly agreed is that there was a lack of great storytelling in their time. That... Modern Western literature was no longer using great storytelling as a device to pass on um, what what made Western civilization worthy of fighting for in the first place to future generations. And over the course of, of these conversations, the Catholic ends up converting the atheist. And the atheist goes on to become one, one of the great Christian nonfiction writers of the 20th century. And his name is Clyde Staples Lewis. He's often referred to as 
C.S. Lewis. Lewis and the Catholic that spent those after those evenings and afternoons at the local pub off campus trying to convince him that of, of the wrongness of his atheism was named what J.R.R. Tolkien yeah and together they wrote arguably the two most beloved series of stories of the, of the 20th century in Lewis's case the Chronicles of Narnia and in Tolkien's case the Lord of the Rings. And when you see the influence those things have had, I mean, I, there's, there's, a, there's, a half, there's a handful of Led Zeppelin songs, for example, that make specific references to the Lord of the Rings in the lyrics. While at the same time, Jimmy Page is dabbling in the, who's writing a lot of their music, is dabbling in Crowley and the occult and everything else because the quality of the storytelling transcended ideological differences. I, I got a huge kick out of the cast interviews when The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe movie came out in 2004. And watching Liam Neeson, who's doing the voice of, of Aslan, saying he is adamant in interviews. This is not a Christian allegory. Tilda Swinton, who if you follow her, you know she's a brilliant actress. She's also cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, she is whack, right? And she's the White Witch, adamant this is not a christian allegory except it's christian allegory and it's a, it's an explicit one it's not even being hidden um i when you watch on the extended versions of the lord of the rings and peter jackson gets into what inspired tolkien and some of what he says is true then he talks about the influence of world war ii and the 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 militant um, technologically advanced Nazi forces marching through Europe versus a lot of these largely agrarian societies that couldn't stand up to them. Okay, there's some of that, but there's a lot more happening there. I mean, the ring is a metaphor for human nature. It can't be, it, by human hands, it cannot be made good. That's why, where's this idea that the ring has to be thrown into the fire? Where, where did, where did what, a, a refiner's fire, maybe? And, but they, they just skip over all of that when they talk about the inspirations for Tolkien. They skip over how the devoutness of Tolkien's faith that, that's never mentioned in any of these things. But yet, even though the secular world wants to pretend that these were not the driving impulses of Tolkien and, and Lewis in their storytelling, when they want to adapt them to be major motion pictures, they have to be true to the story itself, even if they don't understand or fail to acknowledge and recognize its true origins and true message. And therefore, when you see the film adaptations, whether Liam Neeson wants to believe it or not, he is literally doing the voice of Jesus Christ in that film, whether he recognizes it or not. And whether Peter, whether Peter Jackson wants to acknowledge it or not, he is, he is absolutely doing the theological hermeneutic that J.R. Tolkien wrote in The Lord of the Rings. Why? Because the storytelling is so good. They can't risk ruining the story by changing its overall message. And that's, that's when you know, guys. That's when you know you have something great. That's when you know. Final thoughts, Todd. Well, now you had me thinking of another movie, but uh, 
it's uh, I love uh, I think it's an underrated film uh, in the Steven Spielberg catalog uh, speaking of Steven Spielberg but uh, Amistad and there's a scene in there when uh, the uh, John Quincy Adams played by Anthony Hopkins uh, asks um, the uh, escaped uh, slave now free played by Morgan Freeman uh, uh, and they're trying to get him to understand the importance of what they're about to accomplish in court. He says, tell me your story. And he's kind of, uh, Morgan Freeman's character is very intimidated uh, by John Quincy Adams and he starts stumbling and gives a boring rote, very dry historical analysis and he stops him and he's a crotchety old man but he stops him and then he kind of has this really, he tries to calm his fears. He says, no, tell me your story. And then he realizes, oh, Hmm. you, you want the passion play you you want the mm-hmm. so, you want the story that almost comes with its own musical score i want because, the con- you know what I'm, that's another way of saying i want the connection yeah that, and so then and he says that's how we win amen aaron um yeah I, it, it's storytelling is is 100% formulaic and 100% original simultaneously there are uh, there is a certain formula that you have to follow sometimes for different stories and different endings and different plot points. Yet at the same time, um, the characters, the devices that you use, um, the personalities that you give your characters, those are all uh, part of the process of making a a good story and being able to 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 write well and. Being able to tell a good story means that you yourself have to, I think, have a good story or at least know of people with good stories. Think about somebody like Laura Hillebrand, I think I'm saying her name correctly, who wrote uh, Unbroken and other great books. I think she wrote Seabiscuit as well. Mm -hmm. Um, She herself, she is, you don't see her out in public all that often at, at all. But she at least knows where to find a good story, and she knows how to tell it really, really well. And that, I think, I don't know, for for those of us who are Christians, we have to be able to tell a good story because, as we've said before, we have the greatest story ever ever told. Um, and I think so understanding how to tell a story is, is uh, very important. Well, this has been our pod, our, our Pop Culture Tuesday podcast for Westwood One. I want to thank Scott McEwen, co-author of the number one New York Times bestseller, American Sniper, for joining us here today. Let us know what you think about what we think. SteveAtSteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. If you get a chance, click subscribe. Leave us a review there on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps us to get the word out. Many of you have done that already. Thank you. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I-